welcome to a very special episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. For once, it's not Ali Maxwell alongside me, but it's someone with a wealth of EFL experience as a player uh, for West Brom and for Preston, mainly and as a manager for, for Portsmouth, Blackpool, Blackburn, and then crucially at Oxford, where he oversaw one of the most successful spells in the club's career. And he is the definitive answer to the age-old question of which manager would you least like to fight, basically. <laughs> and, it's, and it's Michael Appleton. Thank you so much for being here, Michael. It's an yeah, absolute it. pleasure for me to, to sit here alongside you as an Oxford fan. No, no, listen, it's great to be here, although um, I'm not sure I'll um, be in the UFC ring uh, <laughs> at the minute. I seem to have lost about two stone in wake of an injury, but... Um, yeah, I'm sure once I get my arm sorted out, I'll be uh, back. Yeah, as I said, you said when you walked in that you're feeling a bit light at the moment. I still, I wouldn't like to take you on now. <laughs> Anyone who's watching this instead of listening, you'll see that Michael's still fairly large uh, in, in a good sense, I must yeah. say. But um, let's get straight into it. And uh, and obviously, you left Oxford uh, coming on up to 18 months ago. Mm. Um, you went into a job at Leicester assisting Craig Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And you left that role in the summer. So, I mean, what have you been doing since leaving that role? Have you been keeping a close eye on, on the EFL since you left Oxford and again since you left Leicester? Yeah, yeah I've, I've, been, I've been trying to get to as many games as I possibly can at different levels, to be fair, because, you know, ultimately I do have an aim, if possible, to go back into the Championship and manage. I've, exp- I've had experience of doing that um, before going to Oxford and obviously then coming back as a number two at Leicester. Um, but I think it's important to know players within different leagues as well so um, you know this weekend I've not decided which one yet but I will go to one of the League One games and have a little look because there's a lot of players out there in the lower levels that get missed uh, and there's a lot of diamonds and I think you look back to the side that we had at Oxford just before I left that were playing in League One a lot of them previous to, to me leaving and then obviously since I've left I've gone on to play in the Championship and some in the Premier League anyway. It's interesting you mentioned that. I was going to bring this up later, but I did a little bit of research and we'll talk about your time at Oxford later on. But just in case you weren't aware, of the players you brought in at Oxford, six of the, the permanent signings are now playing, playing in the Championship. Mm. Three of the loanees now playing regularly in the Championship, one in the Premier League and John Joe Kenny. Yeah. And three of the players you brought in at Oxford, just the three key players now in Curtis Nelson, Simon Eastwood and Rob Hall. Mm. So you obviously did something well um, in terms of recruitment. So I guess now in the position you're in, it's making sure that you still have your finger on the pulse now is just as much as you did then yeah definitely absolutely and you know you need to know who are the young players that are coming through who are the young players that need an opportunity that they might not be getting at one of the bigger clubs um, I think most managers out there realise that sometimes when they take a player on loan and it's his first loan it is a little bit of a risk it's a, it's a risk to the player it's a risk to both the club the parent club and the club he's going to um, what we try to do as much as we possibly can when we were at Oxford is take a player possibly on his second or third long, uh, depending on his age, um, because obviously he already experienced what it's like to be at a club, the pressures that go with playing three, three times a week. Um, my days at Oxford, certainly the last two seasons, um, I'm near enough with a figure, but I'm not 100%. I think it was 60 and 61 in terms of the amount of games we played yeah. Uh, in, in my second and third season um, so we knew that the, the squad that we'd had we'd, we would have to be at a cope with playing a lot of games because we took the cup competitions really seriously um, I'm a big believer in winning games and trying to win every game that you're playing no matter what it is and um, you could argue that it possibly cost us in my final year at League One because of the, the amount of games that we have but I would never change that philosophy ever you know I think it's important to try and compete and win every competition you're in so when you go back to take young players in on loan I think sometimes they get exposed too early and then if it's their second or third loan that's the one where you can really jump on and you know you, you've got a player who um, certainly is coming to a, to a point in an age in, in his career that he can kick on it's interesting you say that because the one that sticks out where where maybe in your time there it was it was the opposite when it was the first time was Tyler Roberts who's obviously now got leads and couldn't really show what he could do when he was at Oxford. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, we, we did our best to try and keep uh, Tyler in the building. Um, we knew that Walsall would get a, um, yeah. some. Of the, was it Walsall? Walsall yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Walsall. Um, we knew Walsall would get a little bit more out of him than what than what we we did. Um, just because that was his second loan. As it happened, obviously, him going to Shrewsbury was what really reignited and, and kicked his sort of career on. But um, it's interesting that, obviously, 
Um, one of the recruitment guys who I had at, at uh, Oxford at mm. the time, Craig Dean, who's now at Leeds United. So as you can imagine, um, the ties there, and you know yeah. that, that that's probably one of the uh, reasons that um, you know Leeds ended up taking the. Well, I wouldn't say it was a gamble. Certainly not on roof, but uh, for them to pay the, the money that they have paid for for Tyler. Um, I think over a period of time he will show his worth and I, and he just started to do it ironically with Rufi out of the team yeah. because of his injury he's getting his opportunity now Absolutely so we're going to look back at your career a bit more mm. um, later on in the podcast but now let's look at the championship as it is now and you mm. say you're keeping your finger on the pulse we've seen you do a fair bit of media work I mean mm. who's taking your eye and firstly we'll talk about the team towards the top end of the, of the table yeah. in West Brom yeah. Dan Moore obviously a good friend of yours someone you've worked with before at Blackburn as, yeah. as well as a, a teammate and then mm. Harvey Barnes who you must know from your time at Leicester who's on yeah. loan there doing doing incredible things he certainly is and he's definitely one of the outstanding players in the championship at the moment I think it's hard to, to, to disagree with that I mean some of the goals he's scored have been quite incredible to be fair um, and key goals and crucial goals in terms of the timing of them um None more so than you know the other week um, scoring two late goals at Sheffield Wednesday, which were massive to keep that momentum going for for West Brom. So he, he's been outstanding. He's got great ability. He's certainly a player who gives you options on either side of the field. But I I believe that his strongest position is uh, as a number ten and, and feeding off a striker because he scores goals as we've seen, but he does create goals for people as well. And um, he's such a strong runner with the ball. Um, he was a player that was on the periphery last year at Leicester, um, had a couple of cup games, uh, was in around the squad towards the end of the season. Um, and to be fair to the lad, I think the first half of last season when he was out on loan at Barnsley, uh, he had a mixed time, but obviously when he played well, he certainly played well. And that's something that uh, we were aware of. And um, he's doing great there now. You know, you, you've got to look, you, you, we were talking about before we, we went on, on air, so to speak. But, uh, you know, Mason Mount's doing incredibly well at Derby County. You've got to look at sides like um, Wigan Athletic. And as, a, as an example, Nick Powell. Yeah. wonders. I mean, he's picked up an injury and he's missed the last couple of games, I believe. But, um, you know, I seen him play a couple of times early on in the season. He was outstanding. Um, you know, and, and, and there's players within there that I think will flourish as the season goes on. I mean, obviously, Jack Grealish, the fact that he's still in the Championship, I think it's a big plus for the Championship. Um, I think it's a little bit of a negative that he's not in the Premier League and Aston Villa fans won't forgive me for yeah, saying no, that. I'm, I'm uh, a signed up member to the fan club, so yeah, yeah I agree. Um, you know, I, I, I believe potentially he's got absolutely everything yeah. and he can be anything he wants to be, I really do. I think the kid's superb. Um, you know, so there's, there's a, there's a, there is a lot of talent there. There's bags of talent there. Um, you know, Kamar Roof is another one. You know, he started the season like a house on fire. Unfortunately, he's picked up an injury. Someone I know very, very well. Um, With Roof, was it? I mean, as a fan, it was frustrating to me to see him go to Leeds and be played out of position straight away, and to see people not really understanding the player that he was. When you've helped develop a talent like you did with him, do you have, do you share that as well, or are you are you always on the phone to kind of hope, hope he can improve? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we still stay in touch. Um, interestingly, we, we we come up against each other uh, last season, um, although it wasn't something that you know that I wanted. For, at the start of the season but uh, when Craig um, was, was sacked by Leicester I ended up taking the reins for a couple of games and the, the Leeds United game in the uh, yeah. in, in the Carabao Cup was one of them and um, to be fair he was actually playing I think he was playing on the right hand side that night and um, I can't remember if it was the first half or second half and he was near the touchline and we, I was giving him a little bit of stick and telling him he's not working hard enough and you know and um, you know, he did remind me that I wasn't his manager. Yeah. I was, you know, <laughs> uh, but now, listen, it was one of them where we had such a good... Rel- I, you've got to remember, I've probably known Rufy since he was 14. Yeah. So um, I worked with him as a as a youth coach and him as a youth player at West Brom. And then, as you always do with your players that are doing well, you keep tabs on them and you see how they progress and how they develop. And, um, yeah, I think... He was probably frustrated at first, but initially, I think when you go to a, a new club at a different level, sometimes if you have that ability to play either side or centrally, just from a pressure point of view on a manager, sometimes there's a lot of pressure on managers um, to stick with players. And yeah. if they've not had a particularly good game, it's almost easy to 
put them on either side rather than keep them in them centre. Hide, hide them a bit there, can't you? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So it's getting that balance right. Um, fortunately for Rufi, he's had a fantastic pre-season. Um, he, they they've brought in a manager that's got super uh, experience yeah. and. Um, clearly believes in him you know to, to play him everyone keeps talking about him playing rather than Bamford so good for him you know um, I'm delighted for him hope he gets back fit and playing soon yeah fingers crossed and uh, it's interesting looking at the managers in the championship at the moment a lot of guys that you'd have faced uh, mm. in league one and league mm. two in the last couple of years you're looking at you know, Paul Hurst Paul Cook yeah. um, these guys who maybe are getting the opportunity they wouldn't necessarily had a couple of years ago Dean Smith as well another yeah. one do you think that in the last kind of 10 or so years the tide's turned a bit where now these bigger clubs in the championship are willing to take a punt on managers who've done good things in, in the basement two divisions I certainly hope so I'm not convinced I'll, I'll be honest with you I'm not convinced um, I certainly hope so um, it does concern me a little bit uh, the amount of foreign coaches that are coming in into to, yeah. to the second third and fourth level in terms of championship league one and league two I get it Premier League level I understand that the money involved the type of players that are involved um, I'm not like I say I'm not a big fan of you know seeing too many in the championship the league one and league two maybe biased as a, as a British coach but ultimately at the end of the day you know um, that's the reason why when we finish playing for whatever that is you know we, we take our badges we do our, our time in the trenches so to speak being a youth team coach reserve team coach uh, and then when we had the opportunity or we want to get that opportunity um, if I miss out on an opportunity to a fellow British coach, then you know, fair play, good luck to him. But sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to take, you know, if you miss out on an opportunity to to a foreign coach. And that's me just being honest. And I think a lot of British coaches in the yeah. country will probably agree with me and and, and back me up on that one. Uh, but I am glad the likes of the the names you said. Obviously, Dean Smith has done fantastically well. And yeah. It won't be long before either. He takes Brentford into you know the the uh, the Premier League or someone you know has a punt on him um, and I mean, gives him that. Could be Villa looking at the moment. Yeah, it could you know, and, and if that's the case, th- th- then great for him. And um, you know the likes of Cookie and Hursty, it's one of them where they've sort of they've had to bide the time, wait for their opportunity. You know they've um, with, with, with the Cookie one, it's it's an interesting one because um, obviously. He's done ever so well at Pompey, did ever so well at Chesterfield, and obviously last year getting the opportunity with a good, very, very strong yeah. Wigan squad, a very strong Wigan squad. He did what were, what was uh, the remit at the start of the season to get promoted. And I think with Paul, I think he had a fantastic couple of years at Grimsby. People were, were aware of him. We actually played them in the FA Cup yeah. um, in my second year at Oxford. So I knew... Yeah, yeah, I might have been three 0 three one. I think yeah. James Roberts got a couple yeah, of goals yeah, yeah, exactly. at the time, yeah. um, and so I was aware of Paul from that because every time they played in and around uh, the Oxfordshire area, uh, they used our training facilities, or if they were going up north and we were halfway or wherever it may be. So I was aware of Paul, and then um, when he got the Shrewsbury job, obviously he did well to keep them in the league initially and um, I don't think anyone could have seen what they did with Shrewsbury last year I know it fell away towards the end of the season which can happen um, but for them to be even challenging and competing it was a great season for them I think in any normal League One campaign they'd have been promoted just two of the class acts we've seen at that level yeah, in the same exactly. season absolutely yeah interesting that neither of us have mentioned Chris Wilder here but I think maybe that shows a lot about <laughs> yeah well he, our history yeah yeah no I mean to be fair to Chris you know he's difficult to, to argue you know arguably Chris over the last probably three years four years um, has done better than, than any of the other you know English coaches um, and you know he did ever so well at, at Northampton and then got the opportunity to similar to the Wigan one where you, you go go into a League One club where um, you've got all the resources you've got the financial backing and you've got the squad you add to the squad with quality like he did do and you get the results and you know and you know um, for them to the, the probably the more impressive side of it is how well they've done in the championship and they've continued to do it and um, you know I, I personally you know they, they do well and they, they finish in the top six this year because a lot of the players that you know he is working with I've worked with before yeah. and, you know so um, and it was interesting to see Marvin Johnson go in there yeah. on, on the last day well, of the season Johnson, Bulldog, Lundstrom yeah, Jake exactly. Wright Jake Wright yeah. yeah and there's a couple of other players as well that we tried to sign at Oxford during I think my second year and basically just 
couldn't afford them and yeah. uh, we got outpriced by Sheffield United at the time yeah, I wonder if there's there's more to that than meets the eye. But uh, and and finally, before but we're going to talk about Portsmouth first. But uh, before we do that, just your your, your old mate Darren Moore. Um, has it been not a surprise to you to see how well he's done? I mean, but has he always been a talented coach? He seems like an unbelievably good man, um, mm. as you can see by his interviews. Yeah, I mean, he's he is the proverbial gentle giant, really. Do you know what I mean? He's a massive giant of a man. Hence the the nickname Big Dave yeah. from the. From those who remember the, um, is it the pot noodle advert? Yeah, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, um, back in the day. Um, so, yeah, he's a good man first and foremost. Uh, in terms of coaching and coaching ability, you know, he, he has done his time as a youth team coach now for a number of years and, and he, he obviously got the opportunity to work with the first team when Tony Pulis was in charge. Um, so he's had that education, he's aware of... Um, the responsibilities that go with being a manager and working at the senior level and I think what he did last year um, in the five or six games that he had you know um, was, was was great and it, it was thoroughly deserved and for them to to challenge and, and make it last as long as it did um, and kept that little bit of a hope that all the Baggies fans had was great and I think what he has done as a manager Football's all about timing anyway. I suppose life's about timing. Football is all about timing and getting that opportunity with a group of players at that right time can be crucial and it can make or break you. And um, he's got a fantastic squad and he knows that. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on him. He also knows that. Uh, but he's big enough and strong enough to be able to deal with that pressure. And listen, touch wood and I hope I'm, I, I'll be amazed if they don't finish in that top two this year. With the front two they've got of like, Dwight Gale and Rodriguez yeah. I just you know I'd be absolutely amazed but ultimately you've still got to go and do it you've got to go and deliver every week um, and I'm sure he will and like I say you know I wish him all the best with it Fingers crossed to, to West Brom obviously a club close to your heart it's where you started your coaching mm. career um, after your playing career ended prematurely as an academy coach then assistant to Roy Hodgson mm. and then uh, and then a caretaker briefly when Roberto Di Matteo left yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Portsmouth took a, a you know, a decent point on you giving a long-term contract yeah. initially and things obviously didn't go to plan there with mm. the financial troubles. Do you look back on that as being a, a, a bit of a... I mean, it's obviously a huge club and yeah. it's great to see them doing well again now. Do you see that as being a bit of a nightmare first job because of what, what went on behind the scenes or did you learn a lot from that process moving forward? No, I've got to, I've got to say, the, the, t- the 12 months I had at, at Portsmouth um, were, were... It was... So it was probably the best 12 months or best education I'll ever have in football management ever you know and, and I remember uh, speaking to Sir Alex at the time um, it's a good name drop that yeah <laughs> coming towards the end of uh, my time at Portsmouth and to be fair he did say to me at the time he said you've probably had more experience in 12 months or just under 12 months than some of the senior managers might have in 20 years of the game you know the things that you, you've gone through and Obviously, it was a double administration. I met some fantastic people down there. The staff were brilliant with me. Um, we had trouble after trouble every single day. There was always something going on. Uh, the fans were brilliant with me, um, and you know we got a, we, we had to we got ourselves in a position where um, we had to reduce the budget by something like seventy percent in one month, or the club was going to fold. You know so. Um, you know, we were paying initially, you know, players' wages um, being quite high championship level to bringing in players who were, you know, playing for teams in, in the 23s and under 18s and we were having to replace, like I say, household names and players. FA players. Cup winners. Exactly, yeah. You know, two years previous to that, they were winning the FA Cup and, and, it, and it was difficult um, but enjoyable at the same time and, you know, if we wouldn't have had the 10 points taken off us we would have been fine we wouldn't have gone down that was a big achievement for all the players and the staff who were there at the time um, and I learned a lot I did learn a lot it, it, it just it, it become too much in terms of um, I stopped enjoying it towards the end because it wasn't for me that wasn't being a football manager um, I felt as if I was part of the administration team because I felt I was doing their job as well as doing my yeah. job um, you know and I found myself pretty much the last six weeks of being in the job going from the training ground which ironically was in Southampton at the time <laughs> going from the training ground to Fratton Park 
and either having a meeting with the administrators um, about potential new owners or speaking to potential new owners. And that was my life for six weeks. It was just like training. And, you know, you want to be thinking about the next game. You want to be thinking about plays you can sign, plays that you might need to move on, etc., and be a, a proper football manager. But I just felt like I was an administrator for six weeks and I just thought, this surely, you know, it must be something different. Football management can't be this. Um, so I, I knew pretty much when the time was was coming, um, what arguably I could have done was be a little bit more selective yeah. in my next move. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't get much easier after that. No. Um, initially at Blackpool, then pretty quickly after onto Blackburn, mm. the Oysons and the Venkies, not necessarily two owners who um, who I think managers would choose to, to work for now. Yeah. Obviously, good times are returning to Ewood uh, yeah. now. But it, do you look back on, on taking those jobs with any regret after what happened at, at Portsmouth? I think it's hard not to. Uh, I do. Uh, and just through no... So not no fault of my own if I'm being honest with you. Um, yeah. But it's hard not to feel a little bit of regret because um, they were there were jobs that basically no one was going to succeed at, you know. Um, and you know, it's I find myself. It was quite weird, really, because I find myself where um, I I go from Portsmouth to Blackpool, almost being headhunted, you mm. know. So you know. Um, Blackpool have to pay compensation for me to, to take me away from Portsmouth. Then I found myself being headhunted again very, very quickly from Blackburn, sorry, to Blackburn from Blackpool where they had to pay compensation. So all, all along the way, all these clubs are making money off me, but I'm sort of moving forward. I'll think I'm moving forward. Um, and I found myself in a position when I, when I left Blackburn, it was the first time I've ever been sacked. You know, yeah. I've, I've been at you know West Brom, uh, Pompey, Blackpool, and find myself at Blackburn. And it's the first time I ever lost my job, like. And the way it happened was quite hard to take at the time. I was sat by someone I'd never met, um, and it was literally a, an envelope over the desk. Um, so that so that was that was quite difficult to sort of deal with um, and cope with how it was done at the time. Um, but then, you know, I look at it with a little bit of pride because the clubs that are left, uh, Portsmouth, Blackpool and Blackburn, for, for a while, at least two or three years after I left, you know, from where I had them and feel as if I had them clubs in a stable place, they actually went downhill, mm. you know, and Pompey ended up, you know, going down into, into League Two when they were mid-table, League One when I left. Blackpool, mid-table championship, pushing up find themselves in League 2 and having to work their back yeah. self back up and obviously a year or so after I left Blackburn then getting relegated into, into League 1 as well so um, I'll try and defend my time and my record at, at, at certainly Blackburn and, and Blackpool but ultimately I, would, I didn't get enough time to I suppose stamp my personality and authority on both clubs. It's it's interesting with Blackpool because you're not the first manager that that has been treated a bit like a saleable commodity. It seems mm. like they're investing in the hope they can get compensation and recoup it. Mm. When the offer came in from Blackburn, were you effectively forced out the door? Were you told that you were leaving, or was it a case? No, not at all. Your, your... No, no, not at all. Like I say, I can't, I can't, you know, say that at all. No, it was one of them where. Um, I suppose whether it was naive or not um, my thought process at the time was obviously Enninberg had been in the job um, as the previous full-time manager and Gary Bowie was caretaker at the time but Henningberg had lasted 50 odd days or whatever mm. it may be and in my mindset was right well they've just done that so they, they can't do that yeah. again you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they must be you know they must think that they're going to I thought they were going to give me a little bit of time because the remit was just pretty much stay in the league and, and rebuild and try and reduce the, the wage bill as best we possibly can and um, I certainly tried to do that you know I think we reduced the wage bill in the January alone by about £4 million um, you know and that was just the start of what I felt was going to be um, a difficult but enjoyable two or three years and, and it never happened and um, the good thing from certainly from a Blackburn point of view they've got a very capable manager now and someone I know quite well from my time at, at West Brom who is a good manager plays good football um, you know and certainly from a stability point of view that club looks a lot more stable now than obviously you know when I was there definitely and 
one fantastic result and you were there was of course the cup win against Arsenal mm. not the only good cup scout you've had in your career as well mm. as a manager mm. uh, at Oxford obviously beating Swansea in the FA Cup beating Newcastle mm. beating Brentford 4-0 mm. getting to the two finals of the, of the checker trade as well yeah. and I was at uh, Middlesbrough that day uh, when we went 2 all yeah. and then lost 3-2 it's still probably my favourite ever away game as a fan yeah. even though we had that sucker punch at the end uh, with mm. five minutes of absolute madness yeah. why I mean, why are you so good at managing in cup competitions? What is it about the mentality you instill in the players or the tactics that seems to be able to beat teams who should be better than you? Yeah, what I, w- what I would say, and I'm not trying to sort of down my achievements from that point, it, it's easier to be the underdog, first and foremost. Really? It is, it, yeah, <laughs> I, I do, because the, 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 pressure's, the pressure's not there as the underdog. Um, you know, I, I, I'll give you an example. Obviously, the, the, the semi-final against Luton, uh, for the Checker trade the yeah. second year um, that was a very different semi-final to the, the year previous against Millwall because we were the underdog we were the League 2 side mm. going up against a League 1 side who was a strong League 1 side and for us to come through that there was a little bit less pressure on us probably a little bit more pressure in the second leg because we were tuning up yeah. from the first leg <laughs> yeah. so and we got through it but uh, with Luton being a League 2 side the, the following season was a League 1 side I I know myself and the and the players felt a little bit more pressure. Don't get me wrong, when we had a good side and we were capable of winning the game comfortably mm. if we had to, but um, that was difficult. So that when you go up against a lot of the championship clubs that we did do as a League Two side and League One, and obviously Swansea is a Premier League side and Millsborough, um, the expectation was for the Premier League side to win. It was just how could we adapt and how could what type of um, what could we bring to the table? You know, are we going to make a game of it, or is it just going to be steamroll? And um, I think in 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 certainly most of the games, it was interesting because in the in the first half, or certainly early part of the game, it's 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 incredible how the 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 underdogs, the sides that are coming from the lower leagues, they lack that little bit of belief. Mm. You know, it's almost yeah. actually no. We're okay. We can actually play with these guys. It's yeah. all right. We can give them a game, um, and I see that you know, year in year out in the cup competitions. And I think the thing that we try to do over a period of time is look. This is an opportunity that you know you're not going to get back tomorrow. Yeah. You're not going to. It's not a league game where you lose three points and you but you've got an opportunity to put it right on Tuesday. This is a cup game. It's a different. And our mentality was very very different for cup games than it was. For, for the league games because the league game it's almost like the Bill Walsh scenario um, you know the, the game takes care of itself or the score takes care of itself because we prepared the same way most weeks day in day out knowing that what our end game was and that was promotion yeah. that's what we wanted whereas the cup games it was listen there was no like holding back there was no sort of you know um, different mindset that that that's that's challenging from a from a league point of view, knowing that you're up against a certain type of player. This was right, okay, we're gonna go out and attack and if we lose the game, we lose the game, but we lose the game and they know they've been in a game. Um and yeah, from that point of view, it was just like show them respect, but then don't show them too much respect, because <laughs> yeah. if we show them too much respect, we're gonna get a bit of a hiding. Um and in, in the Swansea game I think Oxford dominated possession in that game really. I mean, the front yeah, and, and even, you know, it's one of them I think some of the, the bigger games that we played, even like the, the, the Brentfords and the Birmingham's and um even Rotherham's, etc., that that we the one I think you'd find that we were definitely up there. I, I'd like to think that my philosophy is a very much possession based type of philosophy, but I'm not I'm not obsessed with possession. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I am obsessed with is chances and, and good chances that are created and working the ball into areas of the pitch that we train to do every single day in training. There's areas of the pitch where I want my best players on the ball every day and mm. we'll, we do that every day in training. How can I get my best players on the ball 25, 30 yards from goal or in the box or in certain areas? And that will be the difference between success and failure, not keeping the ball for 70% yeah, of it, yeah. you know possession and you know because 30-40% of that might be in your own half of the pitch but it's interesting you're talking about the stats now 
um, and Ali and I on the podcast speak a lot about um, the kind of the data behind the performances mm. and maybe not looking too much at, at the league table at this stage but looking more at the underlying numbers yeah. looking at XG data as well mm. is that something I mean it's obviously something that's come into football um, at least from a fan's point of view in the last five or six years mm. as a manager who, who as a player didn't really grow up with it is it are you looking to adapt or, or are you looking to use it you know, not use it too much, make sure you trust your own instinct more, or are you buying into this new age of, of data and stuff? I, I certainly do buy into it. I think it's one of them where um, I just, I'm just very careful how much I use. I think, uh, I think with stats and data, um, I, I think they are very important because what they do is that they back your instincts and they back your eye and, um, you know, just simple things like the GPS that everybody uses at this at the minute, you know, <laughs> The stats don't lie. If I sit down with a player and get him on a one-to-one situation and I tell him you're not working hard enough, you're not sprinting hard enough, and he says, oh, I don't, I disagree. Well, you can't disagree <laughs> with it. You know, it's in black and white. They're, 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 the stat, they're the hard facts. So I always have them with me if I need them. Um, you know, but in terms of technical performance, you know, I, I, I try to hold them back, certainly, if I can do, and just speak to the player on a one-to-one and go yeah. look you know we need to get you in these areas more you need to improve at doing this whether it's playing with your back to goal whether it's you know playing between the lines whatever it may be I try and speak to them on a level rather than using the stats and, uh, that, that we have but if they're not having it or they don't agree or you know I think they're disagreeing in, in the wrong areas then I'll use them to obviously back what I'm saying up because we're seeing at the moment um Darren McAntony, who owns Peterborough, is getting very angry on Twitter with people like us saying that actually whilst they're coming second in the league, they're in terms of shot data, it should be about 17th, 18th. Mm. If it was your team, and luckily for you, I think Oxford always very high in the, in the kind mm. of the yeah. uh, tables whenever you were in charge. But if it was your team and you were second and that was maybe suggesting something wasn't quite right, would you be doing the same as someone like that where you'd be thinking that now we're fine, we're picking up the points? Or would you look at that being like, okay, maybe there is an issue here? I was quite lucky actually, I suppose, with having someone like Daryl um, yeah. as a chairman. You know, don't get me wrong, we never, we didn't always see eye to eye and we had our words and stuff like that, but we were very straight with each other and, um, you know, whether one of us disagreed or didn't like what the other one was saying, we'd still say it and, and, and that was, and, and that was quite interesting because um, because of the, the background that he come from, you know, private equity. Yeah. Um, obviously, that was a lot to do with figures yeah. and stats. And, you know, so I, I couldn't get away with, I, you know, the phrase, you know, you know what can yeah, yeah. baffle brains. Um, I couldn't do that with Daryl because I couldn't come out with a load of waffle mm. and pretend, you know, we're OK, we're doing well, we're doing this, we're doing that because he was aware of it and he was aware of all the stats that you're talking about. So, you know, the, the, there'd be times when he'd come to me and say we'd had five games and we only had one win and a couple of draws, a couple of defeats, he'll, he'll go, look, don't worry about it. Yeah, actually, you know, you should have won good. four or yeah, five yeah. of these games. Like, you know, cause it, and so he used to use that with me quite often. Um, you just paying Dan Bond, the performance analyst, to, to slip him behind. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Bondy was very good at that, to be fair, yeah. Um, but no, it, it was one of them where I, I'd like to think that I'm realistic to know that if we've won two or three games or had a period of games where we've overachieved in terms of chances created and, you know, maybe the ch- chances that opposition have created against us, I think it's one of them where you accept it because, you know, ultimately... You can't be brilliant all the way through the season. You're going to have to be a team of all for all seasons. You're going to have to win games that you know, particularly you've not played really well in. But as long as you're aware of them and you're continually trying to improve and get better, and if we've got poor stats after 15 games yet we're top of the league, what I'll do is I'll just make sure that I don't leave anything to chance. Because if you're happy with that and and, and you continue to do the same things that you have done the reality is you're probably by yeah. the time the next 15 games are up you're probably going to be mid-table or, yeah. or below so so I, I, I understand where you're coming from um, I can understand you know where the real football men are coming from <laughs> yeah exactly so it's just having that balance and you know I, I was quite lucky like I say I had a chairman who um, was open to discuss and he was open-minded enough to understand that, you know, if we'd had a poor spell, actually he'd look a little bit deeper and see the reasons why we were. 
let's get on to Oxford now. And um, again, as a fan, when it came out of the blue at your appointment, it was part of a takeover. You were mm. announced as part of the takeover. And after the spells at the clubs that we'd just previously spoken about, I'm not going to lie, I was fairly mm. underwhelmed because I didn't mm. really know about yeah. the, the background story of it. And what ensued was as a fan probably the best three years that Oxford have had mm. um, in terms of cup runs in terms of the, the promotion in terms of the performances the players as mm. well I mean you must look back on that three years with immense pride I hope oh massively I mean you know I think it's going to be you know wherever I go in the, in the past in terms of actually a, a period and a spell at a club it'll be very very difficult to top that in terms of being relative so you know whether I go and work in the championship the Premier League League 1 again or League 2 in terms of relative what you can achieve as a League 2 club or a League 1 club in terms of promotions in terms of cup upsets and getting to Wembley finals and producing players it's going to be hard to top so I'm realistic to know that you know them three years were memorable and certainly very enjoyable not only for me uh, for, for, for my kids for, for my wife I mean to be fair like I say at the time when we moved down there there were myself and, and my wife now Jess who was my girlfriend fiance etc <laughs> then it was a little bit right okay this has to work yeah. and I remember saying to her this, this has to work my I, reputation's on the line and it was a hairy start as well yeah, yeah it, it certainly was <laughs> you know and if anything you know we lost the first four games arguably them first four games they were as good as performances yeah. like as uh, uh, we probably had when we were like getting promoted mm. and you know and, and 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 obviously playing well against top sides, but ultimately it just didn't happen. And for whatever reason, it it took a little bit of time to to have an understanding of the, the team that was there at the minute. I think there was certainly uh, a few players that, through no fault their own, almost had a losing mentality. Um, it's not that they wanted to lose, it was just that it became almost um, acceptable might be the wrong word, but it, 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 it came a situation where it was like, it's not that bad if we lose, you know, and it's, you know, don't worry too much about it. Whereas like, no, I wanted to change that mentality and actually, it, you know, if we lose a game of football, um, anyone can lose a game of football, but I want to make sure that we've done everything in our power possible to make sure that we can win the game. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, there was there was a lot of things that went on in that period of time, and I think that some of the biggest things that happened. It's a little bit of a buzzword in football at the minute, and a lot of people talk about it but don't implement it. We actually changed the culture of the football club. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Certainly in the second season, more than ever, we tried really hard in the second half of the first season to, like, say, change people's mentalities. And then there was no no stone unturned in terms of the way we prepared for that season uh, that we got promoted. Um, I had to make some really, really difficult decisions on players, on staff, members of staff, um, which wasn't particularly easy or I didn't enjoy, uh, but it had to be done uh, for the benefit of everyone. And um, I think it was round about that time and just before the end of the, falls, the previous season where the relationship between the fans and the players and, and the football club sort of come together mm. uh, and it put aside a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing about and seeing at the minute obviously with previous owners um, and we all focused on the football and I think that's why we were so, so successful You mentioned that obviously things not looking so good for the club at the moment in 24th mm. position a uh, takeover in the summer Carl Robinson came in and did very well at the back end of last season mm. to, to almost keep, keep Oxford mm. up which is, would have been unthinkable when you left yeah. Um, but it hasn't been as good this season. And Carl Robinson said a lot in the press that he finds the Kassam a very Kassam Stadium a very hard place to play. The players don't like playing there. It doesn't feel like they're playing at home. Can you sympathise with that, or do you think that's maybe an excuse for poor performances? Not not to kind of direct you to push him no, out of the bus. It, here, I but. think it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, you need to look after yourself and. Um, you're going to try and defend yourself and your team as much as you possibly can. Um, I think what Carl's saying is it, it, it can be difficult, obviously, with that forced and missing. Yeah. Um, from a conditions point of view, so when, when the weather's not particularly great and it's windy. Um, oh, I see you saying yeah. in the summer. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean... It's but, to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, can be, that can be difficult. From an atmosphere point of view, there's no, there's no doubt about it that if you've got four stands, you know, you can create a, uh, an atmosphere that's uh, uh, 
uh, is more beneficial to you as a home side. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, that's something that we worked again really hard with uh, when I was at the club just to improve the relationship with the fans and get a little bit more of an understanding and of what we were trying to do and why we were trying to do it. And um, I think the amount of people that were turning up every single week because they sort of believed in what we were doing was a big factor, you know. So, so to average, I think before I left, it was around about eight and a half thousand, um, you know, most weeks, which was fantastic. And it was argue, it was hard to argue with the the atmosphere that was being created in, yeah. in them games. You know, the atmosphere was incredible to, mm. towards the end when I was leaving. Um, so I, I, I understand. It's it certainly, there's no doubt about it, there's no getting away with it. It's, it's certainly a lot more difficult than most places just because of the fact that it's only got three stands. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there are issues now between between the new owners and, and the previous owner who owns the stadium that, that you didn't have to experience when they were there. So, which could be making it even more difficult. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's one of them where I knew stuff was always going on behind the scenes with, with Daryl and Faraz yeah. and, and all that. I, and I, I get that. That's the. The backdrop and the political side of of every football club is always something going. But what I try to do is just concentrate on the football. Yeah. Like literally, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, that's the only thing I can affect is try and win games and try and put in performances that can win games. And we did that by um, re- probably really concentrating on the players that we try to bring in, and and then obviously making sure that they were the not just the right player but the right person because that was a big part of the cultural change making sure that we had the right people at the football club I mean as I mentioned the players you brought in six of them now playing per you know playing in the championship week in week out that doesn't even include Callum O'Dowder who obviously came through mm. through the youth system as well you obviously had a, a great relationship with academies as well mm. in the Premier League you're looking at the likes of Joe Rothwell and, and Ryan Ledson yeah. coming in um, mm. John Lundstrom all these players is that crucial to, to recruitment? In the, I mean, I'm basically trying to get out how did you go about creating such an amazing group of players at that level who just in a couple of years later are quite obviously too good for it? Yeah, well, first and foremost, there had to be um, a remit. What was our remit? And our, basically our remit at the time was um, that we, would, we wouldn't just look in one pond, so to speak. So it, won't just, it wouldn't just be... Um, under 23 players from Premier League clubs yeah. um, we made sure that there was a certain age bracket that we were looking at and if we had to go and look in the lower leagues in the conference then we would do if we had to go up to Scotland because obviously they weren't paying as well as like yeah. maybe the championship and some of the League One clubs at the time were paying you look at Marvin, um, Marvin Johnson and exactly. Shea Dunkley being yeah, the two absolutely there. and you know and there's some that didn't, didn't particularly work out for one reason or another in terms of you know the likes of People will look at the Kane Emmins one and say it didn't work out, but he scored really crucial goals goals for us in the yeah. season that uh, my last season that we left, and obviously he's moved on since. But um, you know he was still part of a, a successful squad. But yeah, I mean the remit in terms of the age group that we were looking at was was spot on, and we, and we tried to stick to it because we had certain experienced players that we know we could sort of yeah. keep and, and stay involved in the in the in the squad that could help the younger players come through um, but not only that as well is you know I, I spoke to Daryl often about this and just said to him look I understand what he where he's coming from he wants return on investment that's his background you know as a you know <laughs> as a you know <laughs> yeah. from from, yeah. He, from what he Finance did free, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, yeah he, he's an investment banker before yeah. he you know he, he got involved he, you know you, you don't be the CEO of LDC Lloyd's Capital for 13 years and you know but, I, but it's, it's a good blueprint for success on the pitch if you're, if you're turning over players and yeah. making money then I just kept saying to you, you know you're going to have to put your trust in me to you know put a little bit of outlay or or ask the question with certain clubs whether we can take a player mm. uh, and we might allow them to have a bit of a sell on but initially if we don't do that we won't get the player in, yeah. in the first place anyway and then just to trust me that, you know, ultimately over a year, 18 months, two years' time, not only will they help to keep us successful on the pitch, but obviously make money for the football club. And we made a hell of a lot of money for the football club. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good relationship. It was a healthy relationship. Um, and, it was one, and it was one that worked, you know. We, 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 knew, we knew it would work. Um, we just needed someone to and that, and that was the thing I said to Dan I said 
I said, we won't get precious if we get one wrong. Yeah. You know, and that was important as well. I said, I said, the reality is every free player is a sign. I'm probably going to get one wrong. You know, I said, but I'm not going to get precious about it. I'm not going to be one of these people who keep playing someone mm. just because I've brought them in or worry about if I've got him wrong or not. Instead of, I think that's what, what a lot of people sort of get wrong. They stick with someone and keep sticking with sticking with sticking sticking with them. And then in the back of their mind, actually this isn't working yeah. for whatever reason. You know, they've come to this football club, it's not worked. I promised myself, or I'd like to think a, 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 a sort of fulfilled that as well where I didn't stick with him it's right okay if it's not happening we'll move him on we'll bring the next one in yeah absolutely one player who did, didn't make money on but I can only thank you I can't have you sitting here not thank you for bringing Chris McGuire into my life because he will always be my favourite ever Oxford player and it's it's kind of good to see him doing so well at Sunderland but it's good to see fans giving him the love that he needs in order to be effective because yeah. uh, when he's great he's absolutely unbelievable yeah um, last word on Oxford now um, before I'm going to ask you just quickly about the checker trades um, mm. and what you think about the, the competition we never normally talk about it which may let you know what we think but uh, before we finish and then mm. just on your plans for the future but a final word on Oxford it's pretty rare that a manager leaves in the middle of the summer as you did mm. um, you know when recruitment was presumably up and running and you were planning on staying for, for, the, for the next season was it a case of just the job came up to work with a mate at, at uh, in the Premier League and you had to jump at it or was there more where you could see that maybe things behind the scenes weren't necessarily the working environment you wanted to be in? Um, probably a, a tad of both more definitely so that the opportunity that come about um, with someone who were, who were new trusted and worked with before to work at that level that was definitely the biggest factor um, like I say m- my relationship with Daryl was very very good but I did know that you know there was interested parties in the club so I didn't know 100% you know what the future held for the football club and because of my experiences yeah. <laughs> at, Blackburn, at, sorry, at Blackpool and previously at Portsmouth that was something alarm was, bells yeah, yeah. I was, I was, it was at the forefront of my mind and I was aware of so when the opportunity came about it was one that I felt was the right time um, and, and, and I generally, generally think at that moment in time it was the right time for 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 both me and Oxford United and it's one of them you never say never you know at the end of the day you know um, and I said that to Daryl I said you know whether it's him still involved at Oxford United or elsewhere or me you know working again at Oxford United in the future who knows I don't know um, but you're gonna, gonna set the forum wild with that one I think yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah but you know it's one of them where yeah. I've already had that question previously when when um, Pep um, yeah you know, left left last season, and I, I, you know, it was one of them where I'm sure I was waiting for the, you know, the absolute avalanche of are you going back? Are you going back? Yeah, yeah. And, and was there know, was there contact with the club? I, I mean, it was just conversations with me and good friends I've got at the football club. Are all members of staff yeah. there? You know, saying like, you know, what's the chances? <laughs> um, but listen, like I say I, I don't know what's going to happen in the sort of near future long term future or not but um, one thing I do hope is that you know they start winning games again and winning games quickly and um, I'd like to see him competing at the top end of the table rather than the bottom end of the table yeah I echo that hopefully starting with on Saturday against Plymouth Carl Robinson can turn this around um, mm. onto the checker trade now a, a competition that with Oxford's um, you reached the final with uh, you reached the final twice uh, I'm not a fan um, I think that the EFL Covers are basically treated pretty badly in it with the mm. rules about about team selection, yeah. um, and I'm you know concerned about the B team factor. Although I, I think that looks unlikely now. As a manager, was it an important tool to use, or and you know, obviously it worked very well getting to the final. But were those early stages where we are now were they more of an annoyance than an opportunity to uh, to play football matches? Yeah, no. Interestingly for me, no, they weren't. They were. I actually quite enjoyed them, and the reason I enjoyed them, it it, it gave me the opportunity to back up what I was saying to some of the, the players on the fringes. Um, you know, I, I I tried very, very, very hard to make sure that everyone felt as if they were part of, you know, what was going to be a big season in all the seasons that I had there. So f- to give them an opportunity to play some football was important for me and not just to set up a friendly at the training ground yeah. against the local side to keep them match fit. It was an opportunity to keep them match fit. But then the reality is, and, and the players who are there will tell you, you know, the very first game we had, you know, I was very, very clear, lads, this is an opportunity to go and play at Wembley. Yeah. You know, forget anything else. 
you know, we're five or six games away and we're not playing a Premier League side. We're not playing a Championship side that should or expect to beat us. We're playing with sides in around us, whether it's in our own division or the one below or the one up, that we're more than capable of beating. So, um, them conversations took place before the first game and during the first game, I can assure you, and continued all the way up until the final. Um, just for maybe, whatever maybe, reason, maybe yeah. you're the only team yeah. had those conversations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know. But I think we were being positive, and you know, yeah. and I like to think that we had a squad that was more than capable of coping with the amount of games that we played. Anyway, um, as it happened, you know, we ended up playing a hell of a lot more mm. than I probably expected because you know you can never say that you plan to get to the fourth and fifth round of the FA Cup, etc. Well, I think going forward now, it's something you can say in your, your interviews that you played the 61 and 62 games mm. for a reason because you're yeah. winning games. Yeah. I mean, what is the plan now? Is it getting back into a job as soon as possible? And, and what level are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, um, a lot of people have asked me over the last couple of months whether, you know, are you going to go back in as number one or number two? Um, the, the reality is I don't know. I would prefer to go back in as a manager if possible. Um, I feel that's what suits my personality and my abilities. Um, you know, it's one of them where it was interesting when I first come out of the game. You know, a lot of people see me as a coach and someone being on the grass, which I'm more than happy to do, and, and I love being on the grass. But I think once you've gone into the management side of it, I actually quite enjoy being in the boardroom and dealing with managing above and, you know, of. Um, when I've had time out of the game, I've been involved in a couple of business uh, opportunities as well. So I enjoy that side of it, um, testing yourself against obviously some of the hierarchy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I want to want to go back in as a number one if possible. For me, it's not about the level. If I'm being honest, I, I, you know, I, I would love, I would love the opportunity to manage again in the championship just to put a few goals to bed, yeah, you know, sure. to prove a few people wrong. But I'm not obsessed with that in the slightest little bit for me it's about the club and I, I've said that actually to a few people a few managers at LMA events over the last couple of months I said if there's one thing I've learned and obviously you know I'm, I'm what 42 now 43 in December I've got a hell of a lot of experience for someone of that age yeah. in terms of management and I say to him whatever you do don't pick the level pick the club mm. you know because you know, ultimately, if you want to be a championship manager, there might be a club in League Two right now that's more than capable of doing that in two seasons. You know, and, yeah. and, and that's that's the important thing. So, whatever's next for myself, who knows? Um, but certainly, you know, I, I'd love the opportunity to get back into work sooner rather than later. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm more than ready and fit and willing. Well, if any potential employers are listening, as a fan, I can I can vouch <laughs> for, for Michael's managerial um, uh, skills. It was an unbelievable three years uh, that you spent at Oxford United, and hopefully one day we'll see you back there again. But thank you so much for joining us here today, Michael. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Brilliant, much appreciated. If you're if you've just found out about the podcast because we've got Michael on, then make sure you do uh, subscribe via uh, SoundCloud or via iTunes because um, we are producing two podcasts a week covering the EFL, and you can see us on Sky Sports on EFL Matters once a month as well so lots going on and we hope to have many more interviews with the people of the calibre of Michael going forward